Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. Hey everyone, how are we going today? Good. Good to be able to be in prayer and worship with one another and worshipping our faithful and loving God. And please keep praying for John Flack and, and also for Kay and the, and the entire community over at Pathways. We journey with them over this next time. If you know them, please send them a note of love and of prayers as well. And you might have some time that is available where you can serve over at Pathway also. And you can contact the team over at Pathway during the week if you're able to help them during this time as well. We're in this series called Sovereign, and we're looking at God as the Sovereign One. And we've been looking at this from different angles, being um, planted in the book of Isaiah, and we've been looking at uh, God as the Sovereign One, the one who brings both judgment and hope. You remember the week that we spoke into that, that God is a just and a loving, holy God, but also one that brings hope, and there's always a way back. There's always a way back into relationship uh, with God. And then we looked at how we can trust God, how we can trust Him as the Sovereign One. And then last week, we looked at how God as the Sovereign One desires for us to worship Him alone. It's about coming before Him. He is the number one. When we put Him first then we can put the other things in our life and follow that. We come to him as the holy one and we come to him as the one that we worship first. It's interesting when you look at the book of Isaiah and you look at God's people, we see God as the faithful one. We see him as the one that continually extends a hand and draws his people back to himself. And we see that as God creates something in the life of the Israelites, they tend to kind of go with him on that. And then they fall into their own ways of living and different sins. And then God redeems them again. And we speak, we've spoken before about these creation, full redemption cycles. And they kind of happen time and time again as you read through the book of Isaiah. But then... What happens is in Isaiah 52, which we're going to sit in today, Isaiah gives a prophecy from the Lord that starts to look at the future. He starts to speak about the one who is to come. He starts to speak about the one who can bring forgiveness of sins for all time. He speaks about one who can bring an atoning sacrifice for all humankind. And his name is Jesus Christ. I don't mean to kind of like, you know, give away the end, you know, as we're kind of getting into the start. But we're going to be looking today in Isaiah 52, 53, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture which is just all time, an all-time passage of Scripture that points God's people to the one who is to come, the Messiah, the Saviour. Beautiful piece of Scripture. Now, one thing that we have to remember, and it's easy maybe to forget, is that Isaiah is 700 years before Jesus as he's speaking this prophecy. 700 years. Go back 700 years from now. Be firmly planted in the Middle Ages. I'm not sure if you'd want to be there. But go all the way back into that place. And can you imagine for one moment, someone's walking around and saying, do you know what? The internet's going to be a game changer. Just wait. You're all going to be able to work from home. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine someone in the Middle Ages talking about car travel or talking about the Amazon chief executive about to go into space? Never. 
It just wouldn't happen, would it? It's absurd. It's outrageous. But Isaiah, 700 years prior to the coming of Jesus Christ, gives this prophecy, the mouthpiece of God, and speaks these words from God to the people of the day with a remarkable amount of accuracy. The accuracy in this prophecy is absolutely astounding. And he comes and he gives this prophecy that transforms the world. And this comes back to the belief that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Do you believe that God is sovereign? He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is all-present. God is sovereign. And God can, can hold the story. Can you imagine a God who can hold the tensions of a story? Not only for all time, but in this moment for 700 years, you know, of a, of a community of people going up and down. And this God can hold the tensions of this story. He is sovereign over all. This is part of his master plan. Part of his master plan is for God's people to be in relationship with him. This has always been the plan. And I kind of think just for a moment, well, if God can hold the story of the world, well, I can trust him with mine. I can trust him with mine. If he's the God of the heavens and the earth, if he's the God who, who can um, prophesy through Isaiah 700 years earlier, the coming of the Messiah, oh, gee, I can trust him with mine. I can trust him with my doubts. I can, I can trust him with the messiness of my story. I, I can trust him when I feel close to him and when I don't. I can trust him that it's more than a feeling. And I want to encourage us today, church. I want us to encourage us that God can be trusted with your story and the things that you are going through. And we learn that from, from the fact that of his faithfulness over time. His faithfulness over time is a God who can be trusted. So we want to look at this prophecy of the one who is to come. It sits in Isaiah 52 and 53. And, and really it's a poem in many ways. It's a poem with five stanzas. And we're going to spend a lot of time in this today. So I encourage you to get your phones out, your Bibles, and let's uh, go to Isaiah 52. And we'll start at uh, verse uh, 13. It says this, See, my servant will act wisely. He'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as that there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And for what they have not heard, they will understand. You see, Isaiah uses the term to describe Jesus here as servant. And, uh, and he goes on um, to call him a suffering servant. But the term servant is used to save God's people. It's not the first time Isaiah has used the term servant. In this book of Isaiah, he's used it in uh, Isaiah 42, 49, and 50, and again here in Isaiah 52. And what will the servant do? Well, the servant will act wisely and will be exalted. But the servant will also be disfigured, pointing to the cross and the great sacrifice that Jesus will make for all humankind. And the servant is different from other gods of the day. You see, other gods of the day were to be appeased, or to be feared, but not this God. This one, the one is, who is to come, actually comes to serve in relationship 
and in love. It's a servant king. Very unique difference and characteristic in the God that Isaiah is speaking of here. Let's go into the second stanza, Isaiah 53 verses 1 to 3. It speaks of the rejection of the servant. It says this, Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him and like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Verse 1 here speaks of the fact that uh, this servant uh, is connected to the arm of the Lord. He's connected and was sent by God into this world. Uh, verse uh, 2 speaks of the fact that he looked the same. Uh, he looked the same as uh, any uh, Jew of the day. There wasn't anything difference, uh, different in his appearance. Uh, in fact, you could have walked past him in a crowd. He didn't come uh, with a fanfare or he didn't come looking a certain way. He just looked like everyone else. He blended in. And verse 3 describes the fact that the servant will be rejected, suffer, and experience pain. If you know the story of Jesus, then you'd be starting to pull little threads of similarity here between what Isaiah is speaking about this servant, this Messiah, this one to come, and in fact, Jesus and his life and what he stood for and how he lived. You see, God is a personal God. He knows pain and he knows rejection, and yet he is sovereign over it all. God knows what it means to be in pain. He knows what it means to suffer. Uh, he knows what it means to have loss. And again, a God of the heavens and the earth, yet so personal, so relational, to understand sometimes the, the shoes that we wear and that we walk through in life. Again, a God whom to be trusted. So it might be today that you're going through a rough patch might be today that you're going through a difficult season in life, then hold on to the fact that God can walk with you in your pain. He can walk with you in your suffering. He can walk with you in these difficult and dark times because he knows about pain. He knows about suffering. He knows about these things and yet he is sovereign over it all. He's sovereign over it all. So he can be trusted and he can walk with you in this way. The third and the fourth stanza here in Isaiah 53 of this poem speak of the servant carrying our sin and the result of this. Read this to us, verses four to nine. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Like all, like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity 
of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Wow. Just take that in. The suffering servant. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, speaking about the one to come. Remarkable, isn't it? Speaking about this man, Jesus. What an amazing passage here, summing up the work of the servant to be a channel of God's grace for sinners. And this is exactly what we read about as we read about Jesus in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We read about this man, Jesus, and we see his holiness and his mercy, and through his life, how we are reconciled to God. Jesus took on the sin of the world, and by his wounds, we are healed. This is the atoning sacrifice that Jesus has made for all humankind. And for those of us who have put our trust in him, we know that forgiveness. We know that healing. We know that restoration. I want us to zero in on our verse 5 here. I want us to replace the, the, the personal pronouns with uh, your own name. I'm going to read it out for me. What this verse does when it's personalized for my life. And then I'm going to read it out a second time. And where my name is on the slide, I'm going to ask you to put your name in. I want you to personalize today what Jesus has done for you and what God through Isaiah prophesied 700 years earlier says this. But he was pierced for Mike's transgressions and he was crushed for Mike's iniquities and the punishment that brought Mike peace was on him and by his wounds, Mike is healed. I'm going to read this a second time. Where my name is, I want you to put your name. And I'm going to pause and give you a moment to take in what it is that Jesus has done for you. But he was pierced for transgressions. He was crushed for iniquities. The punishment that brought peace was on him. And by his wounds is healed. So powerful. Why don't you just thank God now in your heart. Thank him for Jesus. Thank him for the gift of life that you have through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. What a powerful picture of the servant and his obedience to the Father and his love for all humankind. You know, actually, Isaiah 53, 6, it pretty much sums up the Old Testament, really, in one verse. You know, we kind of put all the Old Testament together, wrap it up, bundle it up into one verse. This is really what it is. It says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. 
That's really the Old Testament, isn't it? That's really the story. God creating, God's people messing it up and falling, and God redeeming. That's really the Old Testament put together. Combine that with John 3.16 from the New Testament, and John speaking these words, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life put together the fact that we've gone astray and that God has brought Jesus and those who put their trust and they believe in him will have eternal life. That pretty much sums up the Bible. We've got the Old Testament and the New Testament in two verses. And that is the story of God, the sovereign one. That right there is the story of the sovereignty of God, that we might walk astray, that we will go our own way, But God, through his love, sent Jesus into the world. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. He died the most gruesome of deaths. He rose again. And that as we put our trust in him, we do not perish, but we have eternal life. There might be sometimes you look at the Bible and you go, gee, it's a big book. Gee, it's confronting. Gee, I'm not sure I can get through that. Gee, I don't know how the story wraps together. Well, all you really need to do now is remember Isaiah 53 and John 3.16 and then you've snapped, the th- you've snapped it together. All right, you can thank me later. You can print it out, put it on the back of the toilet door, memorize the Bible, got it. But seriously, God as the sovereign one. Do you know that this forgiveness from God? Do you live in this forgiveness that the servant brought? for you. The final stanza here speaks of the atoning nature of the servant who carries the sin of the world. It says this, verses 10 uh, through to 12. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he has poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Beautiful poem of the one who is to come. In verses 10 to 12 here, speak of the satisfaction of God and the servant. And these um, verses, in in many ways, they remind us of three things that Jesus achieved by his life. They remind us that he makes us his offspring, as it says in verse 10, that he justifies us before God in verse 11, and that he shares his spoils of victory with us. In verse 12, these are three things that are quite distinct with what Jesus achieved through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And the beautiful thing is that this ties into three of probably our greatest desires as humans. And the desires that we have as humans, and and I love uh, how God weaves this together for the reconciliation of our hearts and our minds and the healing of us. And he says this, he says, he makes us his offspring, which ties into our desire to be loved, accepted, and significant. 
He justifies us before God, which ties into our desire to overcome guilt and shame in our lives. And he shares the spoils of victory with us, which is to give us a bright and hopeful future. A bright and hopeful future. And this is the amazing thing for us all to consider. And that is salvation is free. It's a gift. It's absolutely free. But it's not cheap, is it? Salvation is free, but it's certainly not cheap. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer spoke about costly grace, we can understand the cost unto God and the cost unto this servant who is Jesus for us to have salvation. And you know that we were never meant to and have been created to carry our own sin. We all know what it means to sin. We all have sin in our lives. We all do, because none of us have arrived yet. We're all humans. We're kind of constantly in this tension of making choices that please God and ones that don't. And we kind of, you know, wrestle with this constantly. But we were never created to carry our own sin. And if you've carried your own sin or you're carrying it now, you'd know that it's weighty. It doesn't fit nicely on you or in you. It, it just kind of hangs around, gets stuck on you. We were never created to carry our own sin. You know who was created to carry our sin? The servant. The servant was sent by God into this world to carry the sin of the world. So today, if you're carrying your own sin, I want to free you from that. You're not meant to carry your own sin. It's a reason that it's killing part of you. It's a reason that it's weighing you down. It's the reason that you're not living or experiencing joy or freedom in your life because you're not meant to carry it. The servant was sent to carry it. So if there's sin in your life that you are carrying, bring it to the servant. Bring it to the servant, the Messiah, our servant King Jesus. Bring it to him and allow the forgiveness of God to reign in your heart and in your life. I just think this is an incredible piece of scripture. Like Isaiah prophesying 700 years before the coming of Jesus. And, and I just want us to give us some headlines right now. You're gonna see him on the screen. I wanna give us the headlines of the suffering servant here. And, and I wanna ask you the question, as I read these out to you, and I'm just gonna hit them with you rapid fire, what's the one that you need to hear today? What's the one that stands out to you today? What's the one that you need to write down and mull over and consider as you go into your week this week? So this is what we know about the servant from this prophecy, that he is for all the world. He's pure, wise, raised, lifted up, exalted, disfigured, suffered inhumane treatment, affected many nations, nothing notable in his physical appearance, he was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with the deepest grief. Men hid their faces from him. He was not esteemed. He carried our weakness. He, weighed, he was weighed down by our sorrows. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. The Lord put on him the sin of us all. He was struck down for our rebellion. He did no wrong. His life became an offering for sin. It's all part of the Lord's good plan. He bears 
our sins. I wonder what you need to hear today. I wonder which one of these qualities of the servant just jumps off the page and lands in your heart and in your mind. Maybe one that you need to continue to look at and consider as you go into this week and you consider Jesus as the suffering servant. Because when you look at Jesus' life, and Jesus entered the world with, I could say, limited fanfare. He was definitely a servant born into a manger. He lived a humble life, took on the role of a carpenter before he uh, went into public ministry. Constantly went out of his way to avoid the limelight and even going and to the cross didn't want the spotlight to be on him. When I think about Jesus as the servant, the word that comes to mind for me is humility. So humble. So humble. And what a great example and a challenge for all of us that follow God to consider his humility today. And this suffering servant in Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 actually weaves its way all the way through the New Testament as well. You know, as we mentioned right back in the first week, Isaiah is quoted more than any other prophet in the New Testament. And Isaiah 52 and 53 weaves its way, massaged all the way through God's story into the New Testament. Uh, Jesus quotes it himself uh, in Luke 22. As he was going to the cross, he quotes Isaiah 53. Uh, When Jesus heals uh, Peter's uh, mother-in-law in in Matthew 8, uh, Matthew speaks of the reason why he healed her, connecting to Isaiah 53. Peter in 1 Peter 2 He quotes Isaiah 53. He encourages people to follow God's example. And then in Acts 8, there's this beautiful little interaction between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Wonderful. This Ethiopian eunuch is is wanting to know who this Jesus is and wanting to know more about God. And he's uh, traveling along on the road and he's, he's reading some scripture. It doesn't make any sense to him. God brings Philip along to his side and I just love this little interaction that they have. It says this in Acts 8. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet that you are talking about? Himself or someone else? See, the eunuch saying, is Isaiah talking about Isaiah? Like, well, what's actually happening here? I'm trying to wrap my head around this thing. And he hasn't got the capacity to stretch out God's story over this 700 year time period. And he's saying, who is he actually talking about? How can I make sense of this? And then Philip began with his very passage. This is number one tip on how to share your faith, by the way. Where did Philip start? Philip started with this very passage. Where? Where the eunuch was asking questions. He started with his very passage and told him the good news about Jesus. And this eunuch puts his faith in Jesus. He stops the carriage and he gets baptised in the moment. Beautiful story. And we see through Jesus' life, his ministry in the New Testament, Isaiah 52 and 53 just keeps popping up. The servant, Jesus, the Messiah. Isaiah scholar John Oswald, he says this. He says, with the suffering servant, 
Isaiah paints a picture of a coming time where God will pour out the punishment of sins on one individual, one who's been rejected by the world and through whom people have been healed. Centuries later, Jesus would fulfill each piece of that prophecy. And this is why, my friends, God is sovereign. He is the sovereign one. Because God in his sovereignty had a master plan for all of humanity. He knew the condition of our souls and our hearts and our minds. He knew that we would not be able to find a way without him. And what did he do? He sent his son, Jesus, to earth. And through his life, his death, and his resurrection, we have the opportunity to have life in him. So what does this mean for us? I think it means two pretty significant things. The first one is to accept this gift of life. To acknowledge that God is the sovereign one and to accept this gift of life, which comes through the offering of the servant who is Jesus. And then the second is for us to live the life of one who has been set free and living with the freedom that Jesus has given us so that we serve others, so that we serve others. Not so that we can just go, yep, my life's sorted, but so that we can serve others. This is both our invitation and our challenge today. And I want to give you some time to consider what it means to accept this gift and to consider what it means to live in the freedom of this gift as we share and we take in communion. So if you can just pick up your two cups, just focus in on the servant. And if you don't have your communion ready there, then please just pop your hand up and one of the team will sort you out. If you're online, now's the time to prepare to take communion. I want you to hold the bread and I want you to hold the juice and I want you to consider God as the sovereign one. He sent Jesus. And the bread that you're holding represents His body and the juice that you're holding represents His blood. It represents this atoning sacrifice of the servant King. And I've asked the team to sing over you, to sing over you the song that we've been singing about the sovereignty of God. So as you reflect on where you are before God, as you reflect on accepting this gift and living in the freedom of this gift, let the team minister and sing over you now.